You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Okay, we are live, but we're going to let it breathe just for a moment here while we get Facebook in line with us. Then we'll get this party started on a Wednesday night. Man, time flies. What's up, Michaela? Indeed, I saw that. You've got the uh, Vulcan salute, right? Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, powered by Blue Wire Pods. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, with me, my fellow football priest and the deputy editor of MileHighHuddle.com, Zach Kelberman. Zach, the topic that you and I found find, honestly, the least compelling, the least interesting to talk about, the least interesting to write about, the Broncos' ownership dispute. As much as we loathe getting into the legalese of it and all the da-da-da-da-da, the Game of Thrones, basically, that's been happening before our very eyes, there has been some news that has broken on this topic. And I know the Building the Broncos guys touched on it a little bit last night, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this because, Zach, basically the takeaway here, and I'll read from the, the, the story from Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post, but the judge in question, remember, the trial from Beth Bowen Wallace and Amy Clemmer, Pat Bowen, the late Pat Bowen's, Two oldest daughters from his first marriage, they're suing the Papolin Trust, headed by CEO Joe Ellis, saying that their father was not in the right state of mind to you know, execute uh, or codify this trust and that it should thus be disbanded, et cetera, et cetera. And then we were actually supposed to get some movement on it last fall, but then because of the pandemic, it got kicked down the road to July. All right. That being said, it's that's setting the stage. The judge in question has issued a motion to stay the proceedings and, quote, vacate the trial, Zach. So it sounds like this thing is reaching some sort of a behind-closed-door settlement. What, But what would that be? What would the resolution be? Uh, it doesn't seem like the final end result is the Broncos staying within the Bolin family, either with Brittany or Beth Bolin or however it's decided in the trust. It seems like it's heading toward an outside purchase. So Alexa, who is the next owner of the Denver Broncos? That would be maybe Jeff Bezos. He's an option. Uh, Robert, I can't, Robert Johnson, the, the uh, entrepreneur out of Denver. I can't remember. Robert Smith, I think his name is. Uh, he's a candidate as well. Uh, there's going to be names that, that uh, end up in the in the sweepstakes for the Broncos if it's headed toward that. But like you said, I'm not a lawyer. I don't get involved in the legal. I find it, this this whole topic honestly entirely boring. Um, it's unfortunate that things aren't being amicable right now. Even if there's a settlement chat, it seems like there's still a major dispute going on within the Bolin family. And it's just it harkens back to what the Broncos were when Pat was alive. We wish he was still here with us. And it's, uh, if the Broncos are sold to an outside suitor. I hope they're going to be in good hands. It just doesn't seem like, at least under the current strictures of the way Pat structured his post, you know, his his succession plan, the the fact that it requires all of the siblings of which what are I've lost count, two from the first marriage, five from the new, and then the illegitimate child, right? That we recently learned about via Nikki Jabala, formerly of the uh, athletic and Denver post. How are you going to get all those kids who've had the silver spoon their entire lives uh, to get behind one candidate? Obviously the trust has really wanted Brittany Bowen. They've asserted her as VP of strategic initiatives. 
She did a great job kind of heading up the whole uh, pandemic protocol thing for the team last fall or last summer and got a lot of praise and whatnot from the NFL. Um, but Zach, when you can't get this family to agree on one person, it's only a matter of course. They're all going to have ownership, but the idea was to have one of them kind of be the front man or woman. It's only a matter of course before this gets dealt. Yeah, and it, but the thing is, from the outset, I think we both knew a, a resolution where one person comes out of this totally happy and everyone's okay with that. It was unlikely there was so much infighting, Chad, behind the scenes. And this family, but even with John Bolin, you know, the blood of Denver going back a few years ago, there's a lot more to this family than meets the eye, and there's a lot of static behind the scenes. So that's why I'm saying if Brittany is set in her stance and Beth Bolin is set in her stance, neither wants to acquiesce to the other, and they have Joe Ellis involved, they have the NFL involved, an arbiter involved, this is a complex situation, and it seems like, again, seems like it might be veering toward an outside sale, which would, on one hand, it's kind of scary. On the other hand, it's like finally the Broncos list would have an owner again. We can move forward knowing who's taking care of the Broncos franchise, whoever that may be. Well, it seems like that in the vacuum created by Nikki Javala leaving this media market and going to cover the Washington football team, that Ryan O'Halloran and the Denver Post have kind of filled it as far as being the point, as far as media is concerned, the point guy on this whole process. And his read on this, based on everyone he's talked to, is it feels like they're the settlement is some sort of agreement that, yeah, we're going to sell the team. Because if you guys can remember... I know it's already been seven months. It's crazy to think, almost seven months anyway, that December of 2020 was just that long ago already. But Beth Bowen Wallace talked to Troy Rank and issued a statement halfway through December when it was clear the Broncos were missing the playoffs and it's another losing season. And the Cliff Notes version, I'll paraphrase her, was basically that, you know, we are very saddened and, and ashamed to see the once proud Denver Broncos that were built by our father you know, descend into this, you know, into the doldrums. And we think that uh, basically that they, it's time to sell the team, time to move on and find someone who, where there's ownership clarity that can come in and, you know, get their arms around this thing and rebuild it back into the juggernaut that it always was. But let me read this real quick, Zach. This is from O'Halloran's piece. And he's explaining when we talk about how this trial has been stayed and then vacated, he's trying to kind of <clears throat> help you understand what it means. Quote, in legal terms, a stay means the parties want to halt the proceedings. Vacated means the court has simply cleared the trial dates that had been scheduled. So this thing hasn't been like thrown out. It's not completely kaput. It's that the two parties came to the judge and said, hey, judge, I know we have a trial about to set, but we together have decided we want to push pause on this thing because we might be working towards a settlement resolution, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And so the trial gets vacated. That doesn't mean anything's necessarily canceled until and unless Zach, they actually do come to a settlement. Yeah. It seems like it's just a formality. It's a, a, a way of pivoting using a legal umbrella of sorts, calling it one thing and meaning another. It's almost like an Alford plea. I know that much about uh, law, Chad, where an Alford plea is, uh, you don't admit guilt, but you acknowledge that the prosecution has enough to uh, have a guilty verdict if they took it to trial. So it's kind of like that. They both know what they want to do, but legally and technically, they don't want to come to that public announcement or resolution. That's the way right, I last, see 
Yes, and here's here's the last thing I want to read on this, and then we'll move on. We're excited because MHH moderator Dylan Von Arx in the house. He's, we're going to talk to him, pick his brain on some of these topics here in just a minute. But the last thing I want to grab here is this quote, and this was uh, O'Halloran talking to this fellow. What's his first name? Um, Climus is his last name. Nick Climus, a Denver estate attorney and a partner at the law firm Gendelman Climus had to say, quote, with a high value, high profile case like this, there could be that pressure from the NFL to the trustees to settle the claims out of court. So nobody knows the internal workings of the ownership or the team. And two weeks from the start of the trial, that pressure could have been building, close quote. So real quick on that, Zach, is the NFL knows that if this goes to trial, there are aspects of it. If not, I mean, I'm not an expert on, you know, this isn't uh, court TV that you're watching here, but there's aspects of it that can be open to public scrutiny. And that's some dirty laundry that the NFL probably doesn't necessarily in the interest of the shield yeah. want getting out there if they can avoid it. But last thing here, the NFL tried, this is O'Halloran. The NFL tried to get involved in March of 2019 when commissioner Roger Goodell appointed longtime executive Carmen policy that's the same gal that John Elway hung up on after the week 12 thing to serve as an arbitrator between the sisters and trustees. Six months later, though, policy took a back seat when Clemmer and Wallace filed the initial petition against Joe Ellis, and, uh, Rich Slivka and uh, Kelly. I forget the Kelly's first name, etc. So the NFL is definitely, Zach, exacting some pressure on this. And I think the only side that they can pressure is the one with power, and that's the actual trust. So the trust wanted this to go to Brittany, but I think it's, it's dragging too long. And so the NFL stepping in and saying, look, you guys had your chance to figure this out. Time to sell the team. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that. The NFL is getting involved because they don't want the public to know about the private workings of negotiations. And what we just talked about the infighting Chad, all these secret details behind the scenes dealing with the Boland family would come to light and the NFL would have to acknowledge that. And also the NFL, again, I say this every podcast, it's a multi-billion with a B dollar business. If it were to come out damaging things about the Broncos, that would hurt their potential value to an outside suitor. The NFL would want nothing more if it doesn't stay in the Boland family for the next owner to pay as much as possible for this franchise. So they're not going to do anything to damage one of their 32 most valuable assets. Guys, lots more to get to. We're going to talk with Dylan here in just a moment. First, some very quick matters of business. And by the way, gang, for those of you who missed it on Twitter, I, I, I fired off an explanation from Monday night. The problems I was having, because I felt like a crazy person, Zach, while you guys were still live, I'm sitting here in the, in the green room. I'm on the phone with my internet provider. They're going, hey, you have the highest plan. We're looking at your speed test right now, upload and download. You're you're great. Everything's good. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? Turns out, though, that Google, because I use Chrome as my main browser, and so when I we stream like this, I'm streaming from Chrome. Turns out Google was having some sort of a back-end engineering bug that disrupted streamers, and, and StreamYard was one of those. So apologies for that, gang. Should be smooth sailing from here on out. Uh, with that being said, Connect with us on social media, starting with Twitter with our Huddle Up Podcast uh, account, at Huddle Up Pod, the main account on Twitter, at Mile High Huddle. Our producer, John Kay, who's been doing a great job, spends a lot of time on Twitter, at John Kay, MHH. Trust, you want to follow and connect with John over there. My partner here is Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman NFL, and you can find me at Chad and Jensen. Also, 
We'd love it if you'd come over and give our Huddle Up podcast Facebook page a like and a follow. Facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle Pod. In so doing, it automatically enters you into our weekly randomly selected raffles. We give away an MHH shirt. Might be a mug. Might be a little piece of Broncos memorabilia. You can get access to that by simply liking and following the page. So navigate on your browser, facebook.com slash milehighhuddlepod, or just open up the app on your phone, search Huddle Up Podcast, like and follow, and then kindly consider becoming a supporter of Mile High Huddle on Facebook. Our main page over there, not hard to miss, almost 100,000 fellow Broncos fans following that page. There's a big blue button at the top that says become a supporter. If you click that, I think it's five bucks a month. If you click that, you get access to our premium VIP video and podcast content, which includes Calberman's Corner every Sunday at noon, The Trickle Zone every Saturday at noon, and our newest show with yours truly, Broncos Book Club. We're going to be rolling out some new stuff very soon in the next few days for YouTube as well on a membership option. But for now, this is how you can access that content. We do appreciate it. Check out the merch store, huddleuppod.com. Get your swag on, get a hack, get a tee. And if you're not in a position, gang, to do those things, it's seriously all good. We are just stoked and grateful to have you with us. If you can, please make sure you're subscribed wherever you enjoy the show. We would humbly request that you like this video if you're on YouTube or Facebook. And then, guys, if you think we're doing a good job, the biggest testimonial Zach and I can see is when you share these podcasts out on your social media and you're helping us grow. You're helping us continue. And we are growing. Uh, Reach new like-minded Broncos fans just like you that are unaware this community is out here waiting to embrace them. All right, with that being said, let's grab Dylan. Everyone knows Dylan, former superstar. He now helps out MHH as a moderator on each and every live stream. Dylan, what's going on, bro? Second appearance on the podcast after, of course, all your labels, uh, labors in the chat, helping us keep the trolls out, helping keep everybody happy and, and in line, so to speak. But how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Just trying to beat the heat, and I'm just happy to be in front of Broncos country again and back on the pod. So what's your take on the ownership thing? As I said, we Zach and I find it to be the least sexy Broncos topic to to dive into, but at the same time, when it when there's actually news on the subject that, you know, very much affects every Broncos fan under the sun, it's something that we do need to tackle and 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 figure out. You've kind of heard what we talked about to open the show. I'm sure you read the article uh, from the Denver Post. Where do you think this is headed as far as a resolution? Well, as much as I'm sure Broncos country would like a storybook ending and, you know, keep it in the family and keep what uh, Pat Boland built, I just don't see that happening. I think this team is going to be sold within the next couple of years. To who, I'm not sure. But, I, I mean, the bright side to that is you possibly get an owner with more money whose business is not just the Broncos, but they have outside money that they could put in uh to the uh, team. For what it's worth, guys, real quick, Zach, I know you got your question. I'm just showing you. This is Robert Smith, the billionaire from the Denver area, or at least he's from Denver originally, billionaire that has been tied through rumors as a potential suitors to, to be that potentially new owner. Yeah, Dylan, I was going to ask, I mean, I don't know how much um, you know homework you've done on this subject, but if you had a preference as to who the next owner of the Broncos, non bowling is, what would that be? Would it be like a, Peyton Manning ownership group. I know some Broncos fans want that John Elway ownership group. Would you mind a Jeff Bezos? Would you mind a Robert Smith? I mean, how do you uh, surmise that? Well, if possible, I'd like to keep, uh, you know, some ties with Denver. So Robert Smith would make some sense. Uh, In turn, so thinking about Jeff Bezos, 
uh, he does have a lot of money that he could put into this team, but the only downside is I'm not sure how invested he would be. This would be this wouldn't be like a, a passion project. This would be just an investment for him. I'm not sure how seriously he would really take uh, owning an NFL team. That was one of the trickle-down benefits of the Broncos getting purchased by Pat Boland back in 84 was that he was a hands-on owner. Like, yeah, he had made his money elsewhere. That's why he was able to afford the purchase of even then what was a very valuable NFL franchise. But he, when he bought the Broncos, man, he was all in on Broncos. Like, that's all he did. That's all he cared about. Pursuit of excellence, pursuit of uh, victories. His uh, what was his one-liner to be number one in everything. So, are you going to get that if you sell the team to a quadruple, you know, trillionaire, whatever, like Jeff Bezos, who practically owns the world? Right? Amazon is such a behemoth that how could you even expect him to pay really all that much attention, other than you know hiring some people in the same kind of way, guys, that Dan Snyder. You know, he just he just decided because he's not a football guy and he's got a lot of other business interests. Hey, I'll meddle when I feel like I need to meddle. But for the most part, I'm going to go out and spend a lot of money to hire guys like Bruce Allen and others to basically make all these decisions for me unless it involves the head coach or a quarterback. Yeah, I think it would just end up having a, a, diff, a trust, but just a different, you know, set of uh, executives running that. So I'm not sure that's something. I personally would like, but I mean, we'll see what happens with that. You know, my take on that too is like sometimes you'd have an owner that's not really football oriented, but they can be hands on and that's meddlesome and that's micromanaging. You talk about Jerry Jones. I mean, even Woody Johnson lately with the Jets, if you're going to have a billionaire, sometimes you'd want that billionaire to be hands off and hope he hires the right football people around him. But Bezos, I don't know how much of a sports fan he is. You want him to be, you know, even Terry Pagula, Pagula at, in Buffalo, he was he's a big Buffalo sports fan, or at least a sports fan in general, so he's at least familiar with the concept of sports ball and not just completely oblivious to it like a Woody Johnson. Indeed. It's something that is, I think, a little bit, you know, Bronco. I think every Broncos fan has a little bit of, some misgivings of one form or another at the idea of this team leaving the Bolin family, because even though, you know, the things haven't been good post Pat Bolin, you know, relinquishing control as owner, it's kind of the devil, you know, thing, right? Everyone knows Joe Ellis. Everyone knows John Elway. Everyone knows, I mean, even Rich Slivka, whose association with the team. So that unknown can be a little bit scary, uh, but let, let me just shift gears for a second here real quick. And then guys, trust, we're going to get all your super chats. I promise. Stay patient. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Zach and Dylan. Now, Zach, you wrote the article here, but Justin Simmons, Pro Bowl slash All-Pro safety, highest paid safety in the NFL, recently made himself available for, for a Q&A. I think it was on Bleacher Report, Zach, if I'm not mistaken. And, of course, he got the obligatory question about Aaron Rodgers potentially coming to Denver and the notion that he purportedly wants to be in Denver. I loved Justin Simmons' answer because on one hand, he's acknowledging that, well, hey, man, it's Aaron Rodgers. Of course, who wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers? But he didn't make that the focus of his remark, as you'll see. He said, quote, obviously, that's the elephant in the room. Every Broncos player has been asked. I always say that, obviously, AR is AR. He's a Hall of Fame type QB. You know what he's going to bring to any team he goes to. I never like focusing on the what ifs. If it happens, it happens. But I don't like playing on the what ifs. Right now, whoop. 
Uh, right now, come on now. My computer's... You guys can't see that, can you? Go away. You're good. Here we go. Sorry, guys. I'm going to have to just... So I can see it. Um, I want to make sure... Go away. What is this thing? I apologize, guys. I don't. There it goes. All right. Uh, I don't like playing on the what-ifs. Right now, Drew Locke and Teddy are our guys going into the season. I want to make sure that they know I'm rolling with them and I got their back. I'm confident in what they can do for our team. Close quote. So, Dylan, real quick, your reaction to what Justin Simmons had to say, basically acknowledging that, yeah, who wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers, but I'm focused on Drew and Teddy and I'm excited about what they can do. Uh, well, I'm just glad he's uh, focused on what what pieces are already here and on this team. Uh, he does obviously acknowledges how uh, great of a quarterback Aaron is, but until he's here or not here, like he's just going to focus on what what's been built and uh, what we're building towards as a team. Um, and he didn't throw anyone under the bus either, which is uh, also good. My opinion on that is uh, he also acknowledged that every Broncos player has been asked about Aaron Rodgers, which is the truth. I mean, acknowledging the elephant in the room because I've written every single one of those stories. But even Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you know, Melvin Gordon, Justin Simmons now. And what I found, you know, I wrote this in the article, but Simmons' answer mirrored almost exactly what Melvin Gordon said, acknowledging how good Aaron Rodgers is, but also acknowledging the Broncos have two in-house guys in Locke and Bridgewater who they're high on. So I thought Simmons handled that, like Dylan said, really well. All right, Dylan, one more question for you, my friend, and then we'll cut you loose for tonight. So, you know, on one hand, you go, look, it's OTAs. We can't get all up in arms or read too much in anything that happens during OTAs. While on the other hand, we realized from last year just how crucial OTAs are in terms of macro, you know, fitting into the big picture and growth and teams kind of coming together. So that being said, knowing they are important, but at the same time, you can't draw any overarching conclusions. What were your biggest takeaways, if anything, from this year's OTAs? Well, it seems like the defense is kind of uh, gelling very well, especially with all the new pieces, which you love to see. And uh, as for the quarterbacks, you know, they try and make it a big deal. Who won this day? Who won that day? It's OTAs. As long as they're trending in an upward direction, I'm not going to, you know, scoff at it too much. But uh, it's definitely encouraging, uh, especially uh, hearing Drew talk about how he's more comfortable in the offense and even hearing it from the coaches and other players. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, if that translates into training camp and then into week one and on. Dylan, I have one final question for you. I like to ask the uh, people who hop on every Wednesday now. One scenario with Locke as the Broncos starting quarterback, one scenario with Teddy Bridgewater, give us the Broncos win total this season. Man, that's a tough one. Oh, the records are weird now, so you're going to might have to correct me here. <laughs> I feel you on that. Um Best case scenario with Teddy, I think, you know, we can coast with him. He's pretty uh, safe. Um, I, I'm i going to say 10 wins with Teddy, but I think the ceiling with Drew and his potential, we could get to maybe 12 to 13. And that's if everything comes together with Drew, right? Yeah, like, like you said, sure. what we know about these two quarterbacks today based on production is – you know, you could probably plan more around a specific number of wins that's reasonably successful. 
But at the same time with Drew, if he turns that corner and even realizes, you know, a fraction of that potential that he's got, it could be gangbusters. And that's why it's such a tough, tough decision that these coaches are going to be faced with. But Dylan, thank you so much, my friend, for everything you do for Mile High Huddle and helping out in the chats and moderating, helping John, helping us. We really appreciate you. And of course, peeling off some of your time to make another appearance on the show and helping out with content as well. So you are a uh, Swiss Army knife here at MHH. We love you. We appreciate you, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And thank you, Broncos Country, for tuning in. Uh, make sure to get some merch because I, I still got my little <laughs> shirt here. Heck yeah. And uh, I love it. So I'll, I'll be I'll be hitting up the shop for a, a new hat probably soon and a new shirt. But uh, Dude, I got to ask you before you go, are you going to be able to make it week three Denver meet and greet MHH tent? Oh, you better believe I'll be there. Yo, <laughs> yo. That's the best, that's the best yeah. answer right there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a gas. Right on, dude. Well, we Can't look forward to, to that. Me. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. You got it. Follow him on Twitter at, as you can see on screen here, A-R-X underscore D. His last name, A-R-X underscore D. Dylan Von Arx, we'll talk to you soon, bro. Awesome. There he goes. Great dude, man. Very level-headed in his analysis. Doesn't get too high. Doesn't get too low. And sometimes that's, you know, that's a good um, perspective, a good vibe to dial into to any equation. But Zach, we've had a few superstars being extremely patient. I want to grab Max Power from across the pond. And Max, listen, dude, first, first of all, let me read a super chat and tell you we do appreciate the support, my friend. Thanks. Happy to have you. He says, hey, Chad, appreciate you clearing the air last week. My question and on, on that topic we had a little dust up. We we perceived some of what he was saying as as trollish, and so we had to put him in timeout and whatnot. He took exception to that, and we ended up misinterpreting basically what he was saying. So we now we're on the same page. We're happy to be uh, have our communication clear, and great to have you with us, Max. So his question: Why do people blame Pat Shermer for everything? Bad quarterbacks make coaches look bad. Look at Lafleur and Arthur Smith with Mariota, and then without. Zach, go ahead. Uh, Bad coaches make quarterbacks look bad as well. No one said – I hate how everything is so black and white. It's so infuriating. No one said blame Pat Shermer for everything, and I'm the biggest Pat Shermer critic out there. It wasn't just him last year. There was multiple factors, and I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day every single podcast – The quarterback play, yes. The play calling, yes. The injuries, yes. The pandemic, yes. The offensive line play, yes. All of these factors went into it. And you can criticize Locke for on-field play. You can criticize him for throwing picks. You can criticize him for his mental miscues. But when you're talking about game planning, that falls on Pat Shermer. When you ignore your first-round receiver, your first-round tight end, your second-round receiver, your, your highly paid running back, that's not on Drew Locke. That's on Pat Shermer. So he, in that sense, made the Broncos' offense look bad. And when Drew Locke messed up, he made the Broncos' offense look bad. And because of the pandemic and all the other factors, that made the Broncos' offense look bad. And you can cite one example, Max Power, of, a, of a, you know what you're trying to do there, but I also can go and give you the opposite. It wasn't all on any one person, but you can't look me in the eye virtually here and tell me that Pat Shermer is blameless for last year. He was a key culprit, not the only culprit, but a key culprit for how bad things got. The biggest thing for Pat, and you guys have heard me say this to, to balance some of this out is, on one hand, I want to absolve him of total blame because, you know, it's football's the ultimate team sport. 
He didn't get an offseason. You know, he didn't get hands on any of his players, let alone his quarterback, until freaking August, basically. And so he didn't have it easy, man. He did not have it made in the shade. But that doesn't excuse. I mean, look, you had seven, eight months once you were hired by the Broncos to know, at least get to know the strengths and weaknesses of your personnel on tape. Like you could go back and look at what Noah Fant could do. You could go back and look at, at Alabama tape, see what Judy could do, Hamler, go on down the list. And it was maddening. Even throughout the season, it, it never really reached a homeostasis. It never really reached a balance where he knew how to butter the bread. You know, he just couldn't figure that out. And I'm sure, Zach, in all honesty, I'm sure a big part of that was the fact that Drew, especially early on, was swimming in trying to assimilate this new offense with so few reps and all that stuff. It's all part of the picture. But we've never said, we've never attributed 100% blame for Denver's offensive, you know, pitfalls last year. To Shermer takes two to tango, you know, and hopefully now that they both have that year under their belt together. Plus, as Shermer said two weeks ago during mandatory minicamp that, hey, man, this has been great. We already got a half season's worth of reps under our belt. Hopefully that's what it now they have the foundation to say, look, all right, let's let's now actually build and grow something instead of the constant uh, download. Right. The constant It's like when you're trying to navigate on the internet and you got a slow connection like Monday night and you get the buffering signal because information is being processed. If now that we got that out of the way, let's see what you guys can do. I I definitely agree that the lack of off season reps and the lack of any sort of normalcy last off season definitely hurt a, a first year coordinator with that team in being Pat Shermer with the young quarterback still developing like drew Locke. You know, you talked about swimming though. I would also posit that Locke was swimming in 2019 as a rookie coming in cold after being injured. He went four and one with Scangarello. So you talk about coaching, making the quarterback look better. If you had better coaching, Locke would look better as he did. And, you know, I think a lot of Broncos country that's pro Pat Shermer and anti Drew Locke, they put too much emphasis on these lack of offseason reps why did they hire Pat Shermer, Chad? Why did they fire Scangarello and bring in Shermer? Because he's experienced, because he's this quarterback guru, because he's this whisperer. So he, you, you can lean on that a little bit, the lack of reps, but if it takes until week 16, week 17 to dial up a screen pass or to show any sort of creativity with the weapons that you have, that's not a quarterback problem. That's a coaching problem. The most maddening thing to me, and then I'm going to grab Michaela, it was the just bizarre usage of Noah Fant. And I'm just going to leave it with that. I mean, that was your best player on the field without Cortland. And it would be crickets for a half, and then he'd get a target or two. I mean, the first two games of the year, prolific the first half, touchdown, five catches, 60-something yards, touchdown, disappears second half. The next week, disappears, not there in the first half, blows up in the second half, and then crickets. And even though Noah steadily kept catching passes and putting up numbers, I mean, this is a guy that even with the – considerable number of targets he ended up getting Zach should have had you know he should have been like without Cortland that should have been your red zone go-to number one dude you're forcing the ball to no fan let me grab Michaela good to see you the Duchess with us as always gosh we're so lucky to have this audience in this community we love you so much appreciate you Michaela she says who wants to bet on who will be the next owner for the Broncos yeah that's a good question but honestly, I don't know who the real players are outside of 
rock. I mean, I don't run in the billionaire clubs, right? I don't know who's in the market for this. We've heard a few names bandied about, but like Bezos, Smith, who else is he? Can you even think of Zach that might be in the in the running for that? I don't know. Some sort of ownership group, like um, uh, Derek Jeter ha- has in uh, with the Marlins down in in, in, in the MLB. I, I, people are saying John Elway or Peyton Manning. I don't think they have enough on hand liquidity to purchase a team. They, you don't have billionaire money. You have multi millionaire money. Whole different realm there. So yeah, Bezos, Robert Smith. I don't think Elon Musk is descending from Mars to come to Denver and and run the Broncos operations every single day. So I don't know, McKay. That's a good question. It's so we're we're such in the infantile process right now. It's so early on that, like Chad said, we don't have a clear picture of really even on the record one outside suitor. All of this is speculation. Even the Smiths and even the Bezos, they haven't been on record as saying, "Listen, we have interest in the Broncos if they were to sell." And for now, the, the betting favorite has always been a bowling, either Brittany or, or Beth. All right, let's grab Albert, another one of our great supporters. And just every single podcast, he's there for the premium stuff, subscribing. He's the man. Albert, give our best to Michelle as well. He says, a different topic. Could Dalton Reisner be in jeopardy of a position as a starter of being on the or of being on the team altogether this season? So the second thing, no way. Dalton Reisner's a Bronco this year unless somehow George Payton gets a wild hair to trade him, which I doubt in the extreme. But I think it was Eric Trickle's article, you know, his his video article doing Dalton Reisner's 2021 player profile, which we do annually, that floated the question that now that you've got Natani Muti and you've got Quinn Miners, like, first of all, Dalton Reisner was under is under some pressure in and of itself because he was a high round pick and he didn't take that next step. He didn't relinquish a sack, so you give him that prop. But he just didn't take that next step in, in his second year after a very promising rookie campaign. So he was already feeling the heat a little. And then you inject, Zach, these two young recent draft picks. I mean, Natani Muti would have been a second-round pick if he didn't have the injury history. So you're looking at two, let's just say, day-two caliber draft threats, which is what Dalton was, right? Dalton was a second-round pick that could be pushing him. Your answer for Albert? Well, uh, all of Broncos country, because it seems like Lloyd Cushenberry is like Drew Locke, where he has no sort of fan club whatsoever. They automatically assume the Quinn Miners pick was an indictment on Cushenberry and the Broncos would have a new center. Immediately after that pick was made, I said, well, wait a minute. They have a right guard who is injury prone last year, getting paid a lot of money. And Dalton Reisner underperformed last year until maybe the tail end of the season. So I wouldn't pencil in Miners at center just yet. I think Reisner and Graham Glasgow both are going to have to earn their starting jobs at the guard spots this year because, like you mentioned, they can plug in right now two other guards they have on the squad in Miners and Muti who would be comparable starters to what they produced last year. That's my answer. Real quick, I want to give a shout-out to the Travises, both on Facebook, supporting the show with some stars, Travis Weber. Travis Tarbox, plus the legendary Gary Leeds Palmer and the legendary Brad Murdoch. You guys, thank you for those stars. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's Facebook's version of a super chat. The difference here for us is, unfortunately, with the way StreamYard interfaces with Facebook at this point, it doesn't pop up boldly for us to see on our end when it's a star. So we have to kind of look from the outside anyway. This is how we have to do it. But 
Men, thank you for your support. We really do appreciate you. Brad, Gary, Travis's, and John, if you see any questions from those guys, uh, throw, throw them up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, first of all, anytime a brand new draft pick comes in, especially a premium round pick, fans kind of get ahead of themselves in terms of how much of an impact, who they're going to unseat, all that stuff as rookies. And the truth is, even though Lloyd Cushenberry struggled mightily, let's face it, especially the first half of the season, he has 16 games under his belt. He too was a third round pick of this team. I mean, Mike Munchak wants to see Lloyd succeed as much, if not more, than Quinn Miners or anyone else that might be a threat. And so don't sleep on that experience that Lloyd has because he was reliable in that he didn't miss a game, started all 16 at center. And that was like, you know, getting a PhD from the NFL, right? The college of the NFL. This dude now knows the score and you got to expect, you got to assume at least on some level, Zach, that he's going to grow from that. So I don't think he's just going to be some lay down, you know, uh, easily vanquished Mark for Quinn Miners to just steamroll, control your expectations a little bit for Quinn Miners and maybe pump the brakes on dismissing Lloyd Cushenberry out of hand this early. Let's wait to see camp preseason. I mean, these competitions, Zach, unless it's a first round pick, always favors the veteran. First of all, I mean, Cushenberry is going to grow literally because what did he lose last year in the pandemic-ruined offseason is a full offseason in the strength and conditioning program. That was one of his biggest red flags and still is. He's a little slight for a center. He needs to put on more mass and be a little more hulking, but he missed out on that last year. And we talk about these offseason reps, that's where it hurts a center. And second of all, he played not just in every game, 100% of offensive snaps. He was on the field every single snap last year. That's invaluable versatility and reliability that you want in your center, which is the quarterback of the offensive line. And speaking of that, we have to also attribute, and this is where we criticize Drew Locke. This is where that comes in. It's so tough breaking in a new center. It's so tough breaking in a young quarterback that's still growing. But when you have both at the same time, when that young center is hiking to that quarterback, that's really tough. And again, you throw in the injuries, you throw in the coaching and all that. So I wouldn't put a lot of the blame on Cushenberry. Yeah, he was beat bad in the first half of the season. He did grow on the field last year. I thought he put some good tape out there, at least in pass blocking. And if Munchak can get his claws in him for a full offseason like he has already, I think we'll see some sort of bounce back from Cush in year two. Yeah, and I think that in part also goes to explain, which Eric Trickle does acknowledge in his breakdown on this subject, one of the reasons why Dalton Reisner maybe didn't take that step forward Yes, you saw Garrett Bowles next to him take a step, and that took pressure off him from, from a pass rush perspective. But inside, he had a rookie, basically, that he was having to clean up for constantly and a quarterback going through a learning curve. So anyway, I Rose, A Rose, what's up, dude? Um, oh, I don't know how to get – thank you. Uh, a Rose in the house. Good to see you. It's been a minute. We've missed you. He says, what's up, fellas? Finally back in the States and – can and back to all this Broncos mayhem. You guys rock. Hope all is well. Denver Broncos for life. MHH. Hey man, it's great to have you back. Welcome back. Thanks for the support. It's good to see you. I have one of the best names in the super chat comments. So uh, it's good to see you again. Back in the states, are you active duty? A Rose. If so, uh, we appreciate your service. If not, we're glad you're back in the good old USA and just in time Amen. for the fourth too. Amen. And guys, for what it's worth. Elon Musk is not a viable uh, candidate for this just because he's a billionaire. To my knowledge, this dude's like, you know, in the pursuit of like getting humans on Mars and, 
you know, integrating technology with human biology. Like he's not trying to win Lombardi's, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't care about that. So, um, but at the same time, again, acknowledging I'm not in the billionaires club. I don't know really who are, who are the threats for this BG. What's up, dude. Good to see Brian Greenfield, a legendary superstar, a Mount Rushmore superstar. Great to have you, Brian. Thanks, bro. Alamo on the rise wants to know what's the latest with the studio. So good news, good news on this front. So the studio uh, has had been delayed because right now, any of you that might be involved in the real estate market or building any of the trades, you have probably experienced just how crazy busy everybody is right now, right? We're in this peak of this bubble. And so it's been like pulling teeth, trying to get contractors to, honor their thing, show up on time, get things done the way. So it's just been this long drawn out process. But as I was just telling the dudes right before we went live, I, it was like a miracle because we had a heat pump installed. Cause if you guys don't know, I went to home Depot, I bought a 200 square foot shed. All right. And one of those tough sheds, you know, like nice ones. Then I had it soundproofed. I had it drywalled. I had it painted. I had it floored inside and everything. All that was missing was I needed electricity for obvious reasons. Plus I needed to have some sort of a cooling and heating, you know, device. And so I was, I put in a heat pump. And if you don't know what a heat pump is, long story short, it does cooling in the summer and does heat for you in the, in the uh, winter time. And it's a little cassette looking deal that goes up on your wall. And so you turn it on, blows heat or it blows cool, whatever you're looking for. But I needed power connected to the deck. I'm thinking, cause I couldn't go out there. Anyone who lives in the Rockies this time of year, you know, it's a hot sucker, right? So finally, literally yesterday, last night, I finally got that thing connected so I can start actually moving everything out there uh, between now and the end of the weekend. So this close, and I'm going to have some content for y'all to see on that. I'll, I'll upload like a, you know, some kind of a reel that shows you what it was, what it became and all that. So this close, hopefully by next week's slate of shows, Zach, I'll be streaming from the, from the new office, the new studio. I look forward to that. It's going to look good. All right. Um, where are we at? We're at 42 minutes. Travis, a Facebook superstar. What's up, bro? Just curious, fellas. Do you believe that we have closed the gap between us and the Chiefs with our new additions to the team? Do I believe it? I want to believe it. I can't <laughs> say – I can't even, like, hint that direction till you see what's going to happen with the quarterback. It all comes back to the quarterback. I mean – I think Zach, you can plausibly say we're this. This is a team that's in much better shape to contend with exactly. the Chiefs just by virtue of getting Vaughn back. You know, getting that um, smorgasbord of corners, and you're returning your safety deal. I mean, that's bodes well. But at the end of the day, as we've seen for the last five years, or how long has it been, Pat? So seventeen, well, eighteen, nineteen, twenty for the last three years. When it comes to the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, you got to be able to fight fire with fire, and that remains to be seen. I want to believe. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's it's hard to subscribe to the theory that the Broncos are going to come out there and vanquish Kansas City this year. And I think for you know that part, Kansas City is going to be on a war path after losing in the Super Bowl to the Bucks in February. My answer was similar to yours. I think the Broncos, they definitely closed a gap with additions. I mean, George Payton had a hell of an offseason. They've infused a lot of talent to this team. I think the Broncos closed the gap, not maybe with Kansas City, but with the rest of the contending teams in the AFC. So when you're talking about 
the Browns, uh, you're talking about the Colts, those kind of teams in, in different divisions. I think the Broncos can make some noise as a wild card, but to say that they can push the Kansas City off the top of that mountain in the West, I don't know just yet. That's his new nickname, Fox Mulder. He wants to believe. All right, this is the X-Files. All right, Zach Kelberman, a.k.a. Fox Mulder. Go with it. Been called worse. Travis, what's up, dude? Thank you for the super chat as well, man. You're on fire. Supporting on Facebook, then moving over. Supporting on YouTube. Salute. He says, good evening, guys, and Broncos country. I just want to say, I hope the Broncos will stay within the Bowen family, but feel it's beyond time since Mr. B got ill that the team has some stability with an owner in place. Zach. Yeah, I think we all want that. I mean, we, we all want things, as Dylan said, to, to stay within the family in-house, uh, keep it within the Bolins, but it seems like there is not going to be an agreement that's going to allow that to happen. There's too much infighting and maybe too much pride or ego at stake, or, and let's not forget money. It's a very valuable asset to have in your back pocket. So I, I'm in agreement, though. I'm willing to let this play out a little longer for however long the legal process takes here, but I just want the Broncos to have an owner. I want some sort of leader and not a rudderless ship. That's what I want in Denver. You know, I just don't get the feeling as much. I'm with you. I'd love to see it stay with the Bolins, but of all the impressions I've gotten from the Bolins as is, the only one that I think might have as much fire in the belly as Pat did, just for as like a competitive force to be reckoned with, is maybe Beth Bolin Wallace. But the trust doesn't want the pendulum to swing that way. So it can never be. Brittany Boland, God bless her. Every time I've seen her uh, step up to a microphone and what we know she's been able to touch and influence as far as the team, like with the pandemic protocols and all that last year, she has knocked it out of the park. But I only kind of sense that competitive mania somewhat and that pride from Beth. But the ownership's just not swinging that way. Yeah, you might be right about that. And one person of the trust wants one bowl and another person wants the other. It, there's just too much up in the air right now, and that's why it's going toward some sort of settlement, whatever that proves to be in the months to come. Dale, what's going on, brother? What is going on? Appreciate you. Thank you for the support. And, yes, uh, we've been talking. I am very excited to, uh, to get you the information you need. He says, we need to, t- to take up an MHH GoFundMe. So we can buy the team. Who else misses football? Appreciate all you guys do. And Chad, just wondering if the shirt is on the way. Hashtag go John. Hashtag go Broncos. Yes, it is. I will check when we get off this stream and see what the lead time might be. It's been like clockwork for the last eight, nine months. But let me double check that. I'll DM you on Twitter. Yeah, I'll chip in 20. There you see go. See if we can do it. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's rage. I, don't, I mean, you're going to have to maybe you know talk to the NFL about that. I'm not sure they want another Green Bay Packers. But nevertheless, Dale, I'll be in touch, brother. Uh, Brad says, do you think DT, Demarius Thomas, is a lock for the Ring of Fame after the five-year waiting period? Yes, DT is a lock for the Ring of Fame. And it might not happen exactly five years after, but he is a lock. He's going into the Hall of Fame. You know, he ends up, Zach, and I know you talked a lot about this um, Monday night, but he ends up as the number two all-time receiver in Broncos history. That in and of itself is justification for him to end up in the ring. But the fact that he also contributed to a world championship. And let's not forget, I almost forgot this until it occurred to me Monday night um, that 
Demarius Thomas was actually the only offensive anything of note in Super Bowl 48 that could make you somewhat respect what the Broncos did that day. If it's not for Demarius catching that pass over the middle, taking a massive hit, and holding on to the ball for a touchdown, the Broncos could have been served at zero burger in a Super Bowl. So, yeah, Demarius, world championship ring, multiple Pro Bowls, a couple of second-team All-Pro nods, number two all-time, dude's heading to the ring of fame. And I submit, still, he has an argument for the Hall of Fame. Now, the average, we saw Monday night, Zach, last thing, and I'll serve this over to you, the average um, wide receiver that's in the Hall of Fame has somewhere around 11,400-some-odd receiving yards career. And DT fell just short of the 10,000 mark. Um, but that shouldn't 100 just out of hand disqualify him for an argument. But again, he's a Bronco. If he was a Steeler, if he was a Packer, if he was a Cowboy, if he was a New York Giant, be a different, it'd totally be a different conversation. Yeah, you rattled off DT's accomplishments. He was also Peyton Manning's right hand man for so many years. And when you get a special video shout out from Peyton Manning, I think you're heading in the right direction. So yeah, I think DT is a lock like Drew for the Ring of Fame, Hall of Fame. I, I don't know about that. I don't think so. But Ring of Fame, yes, we'll see his name in the rafters in due time. No doubt. No doubt about that. Jay on YouTube says, Mike Florio said yesterday, NFL teams are going to double in value in the next few years because of legalized gambling. There's going to be suitors. Yeah, there's some truth to that. And, you know, as much as a, a, as a buffoon-type reputation as Mike Florio has developed over the last few years, in media, he is a former attorney. Probably still has his his bar his li- his license to practice. I would guess um, because those are so dearly bought. You know, even if he gets out of that game, this dude kind of just knows he's he's smart, savvy guy when it comes to that type of stuff. And he could be right, Zach. You also have to keep in mind that the more the the price of the team would go up, it kind of limits those suitors because maybe Robert Smith wouldn't want to pay eight million when he can pay two million right now. So it's going to take a special point point you know zero 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 one percent of the population who would show interest in the team. And it's true though. I mean, with legalized gambling and now cryptocurrency on the rise, what's worth two million or two billion now is going to quadruple in price. I think in the next ten years. All right, we are at 50 minutes, so we only have time for a few more, but of course we will make sure we get every single superstar tonight. I am just scrolling down through, and Michaela, again, wow, thanks, Michaela. Seriously, means a lot. You know that. She says, honestly, I want the team to stay in the Bowling family. And I feel you, in a perfect world, I do too. It just doesn't feel like that's the way this thing is trending. And... um you know, there might even be, Zach, people who would take exception with my read on, you know, Beth Bowen Wallace really being um, the only one that kind of seems to be a chip off the old block in terms of that competitive juice. Maybe I just <clears throat> need to be exposed more to Brittany Bowen and I'd be disabused of that notion. But again, it feels like now it's becoming moot because it's getting dealt. The team feels like they're it's getting sold. Well, let's not also, guys, put 100% certainty on this outcome. Things can still change in the next you know, six months, whatever it is, until February. Uh, and also, this also might be some sort of public negotiating ploy, kind of like Aaron Rodgers negotiating through the media. This is all put out through the Denver Post, and things are being leaked right now about different terms and different legal settlements and outcomes. 
it might bring the sides together again. It might spawn something that could get done if one side or the other tends to put their pride aside. And with billion-dollar sales and mergers, it doesn't happen too often. Corey H., good to see you, my friend. Thank you for the super chat. Very generous. He says, I see it as a sign they're going to keep it. If it's just an agreement to sell, then you can announce it, and to the highest bidder you go. But if you're brokering ownership, sharing amongst the kids, then that would take time. Well, it, it just to pick a bone here, Corey, it wouldn't take time because the actual ownership of the team has already been delineated. Each kid actually ends up with an equal share of the team, but there is a stipulation then from there that is who is the you know the point person, the point man or woman leading the charge, you know, the person that's actually in the building every day, grinding, serving as Zach, the de facto owner. If that decision was going to be made, if they could have come to a consensus, I think they would have already done that a long time ago. And you wouldn't have seen this reach a lawsuit that then had to be, you know, kicked down the road to trial wise by almost 18 months. So I, you could be right. Cause when I wrote the article, Corey covering, you know, um, what we learned from Ryan O'Halloran's piece, I said, look, it either means that this whole, um, you know, put putting this thing on pause and reaching a settlement, that settlement could either mean A, the team is getting sold, right? They, they've decided that that's what they're going to do. Or B, which I do think is much less likely, Zach, that either Beth Bowen Wallace and Amy uh, Clemmer decided to go ahead and toe the line and get behind Brittany. Um, because I don't know this, but I would guess that the children of Annabelle – probably have just decided, you know what, let's go ahead and throw our support behind Brittany. It's the fact that you got children from different mothers that end up maybe having different loyalties and different, you know, it just is a, creates a different energy. Maybe that's what ends up happening, but I just, I doubt it. I was also going to say, how could there be bidders if the team isn't up for sale yet, technically? I mean, what bidders would throw their hat in the ring if this, if this is being, you know, arbitrated by the NFL and there's a trust, there's all this infighting going on and legal action going on. I don't think any billionaire is going to get in there and try to win over the franchise right now. So one thing has to get resolved before the other could happen. And it might still take, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Theo's doing just fine, man. He is fattening up, um, but he's still kind of a little fussy guy, you know? And like I said, chip off the old block. I was, I was a fussy baby. His brothers were fussy. The only true angel we've had as an infant was our daughter. And, you know, so I think it's just the way it goes. But he's doing A-OK. Growing, healthy. Uh, mom's doing well. So appreciate the the uh, question. John, are we caught up? I think we are caught up. Oh, no, Geiger. We got Geiger in the house from Australia. What's up, buddy? And Geiger proved that, yes, the merch store, huddleuppod.com, will ship and fulfill to our brethren, and sisters down under. All right. So you should be seeing that relatively soon because I know it fulfilled uh, from a shipping center in Australia. So you should be seeing it like any day, dude. Appreciate you. Thanks for the super. Yeah, I actually saw it was being processed. So we appreciate your patronage, Geiger. And let us know how you like it and send us a picture if you uh, can. We'll put it on the MHH Instagram account and uh, give you a little bit of flex. All right, last one here from uh, MHH staff writer, Kenneth Booker. Yes, Brittany has been being groomed by the trust, right? So you got to remember, you've got factions here. 
You got the trust as codified by Pat Bolin, Joe Ellis, and the two other people that are in the trust. They want Britney. They earmark Britney. They've been asserting Britney to be that heir, that number one, that they all equally own the team as, as children of Pat, but she's the front person, you know, because the one thing Zach Pat wanted, he had specific qualifications for whoever ended up getting that nod. They, they had to have some kind of a, um, I think it was either a bachelor degree. I'm trying to remember. It's either a bachelor or even like a law degree. I, I'm trying to remember exactly, but some sort of, a, you know, continued education college degree. And then they also had to have experience before getting the nod working either in the Broncos front office or even at the NFL office. And in Brittany's case, Zach, she worked in the NFL league office. Then she came back home and worked in a private, um, you know, she's an attorney worked in a private firm. And then once all this happened and her father passed and things, the Broncos brought her in and she's VP of strategic initiatives. Meanwhile, Beth also fits the criteria for, the qualifications, which is why there's this rift. She has all that same education. She worked for the Broncos, but then there was a um, bitter parting of ways. Joe Ellis and company, Joe Ellis basically fired her from her role with the team. And I can't remember what her role was now off the top of my head, but a few years back, she was unceremoniously dumped and the pendulum swung to Brittany. And I think, you know, there's probably some personal feelings there too, Zach. Exactly. And, you know, she's definitely qualified, Brittany Bolin. She has all the prerequisites you would want for a potential owner, but that's not always the case sometimes. You know, you don't always get things that you deserve. Politics sometimes play a part, and that's what's going on right now behind the scenes. That's why, Brittany, there's not a clearer path to her to owning the team. I was laughing, though, Chad, real quick. It's always nice to dunk on the Raiders. We have Maurice in the comments firing in these little jokes. Three Raiders fans walk into a church. The priest says, sorry, the bar is across the street. And there was, uh, this is the other one that I thought was funny. Real quick, three Raider fans walk into a library. The librarian says, is it April 1st already? Thank you for the levity, Maurice. We <laughs> appreciate good stuff. it. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, we got one last one from Kiaka in uh, Paradise out there in Hawaii. We're looking forward to seeing you yep. in the flesh, September 26th. Appreciate the support, my friend. He says, just showing some aloha to my boys. You know we appreciate that. Hat tip, brother. Thank aloha, you. Aloha, Kiaka. Thank you. Good to see you. Guys, I think that pretty well does it for tonight's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. We're going to get out of here right on time. Thanks to each and every one of you for peeling off a little of your time to either enjoy this with us live, participate in the conversation, or if you're listening after the fact on demand, we love and appreciate each one of you. Shout out to Dylan for spending time coming on the show and then also for doing what he does to moderate the chat. Oh, we got an 11th hour from Mr. Boggins, longtime superstar. Marcus says, random question. Do you think Broncos have the best starting linebackers in the AFC West? Just strictly inside linebacker. Uh, crazy to think about Josie and AJ being better than the rest. I think, yeah, I do. But see, the the I'm trying to think who the Raiders off-ball guys are now off the top of my head. I know the Chiefs. I know the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they are. But that's another good example, Zach, as to how they're kind of under – rated and underappreciated a little bit from the fans because they ended up both getting over hundred tackles last year. They did really well in their run fits and they weren't terrible against the past. They were reliable. They each started every game. They deserve probably a little bit more love and hype than they get, but because they're 
the one thing you're missing, Zach, I think why fans have kind of yawned when it comes to Josie and Alexander is when Alexander popped on the scene in 2019, man, he was impacting the game. He's picking off passes, forcing fumbles, sacking the quarterback, like affecting things, not just swarming to the ball and making the tackle, which you're supposed to do if you're an off-ball linebacker. The truly special guys, they impact the game. Takeaways, takeaways. And you saw that from A.J. early, but it didn't come out in the wash for either guy last year. I also think the Broncos have the luxury of having Vic Fangio coach the defense. And if they, the other players in the division, you know, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders, if they, if their inside linebackers had Vic Fangio and Reggie Herring, I think they'd be better as well. But yeah, I mean, listen, Josie and AJ are great for what they are, which is two down run stopping guys. AJ, you can maybe get by with in pass coverage, but he's not ideal. But for what they are, they're really good. They're among the best in the NFL, actually. So it's not crazy to think that. I think it's more of an indictment that the AFC West, other than the Broncos, is not really defensively oriented at all. Marcus, thanks for the super chat, bro. You know, we appreciate you. All right, guys, that's it for tonight. We'll see you tomorrow for the Mile High Mailbag. Zach, sign us off, bro. Yes, sir. Chad, have a great rest of your night. And John and everyone else out there, we appreciate your tuning in with us tonight. Be sure to follow the Huddle Up Pod on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. Be sure to follow the mother account at Mile High Huddle. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad and Jensen. You can follow myself at Kelberman NFL. You can follow our wonderful producer, Buana Beast, at John K M H H. Please, guys, if you haven't already, go to Facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle Pod. Like the page, follow the page. Also, Facebook.com slash Mile High Huddle. Become a supporter, exclusive content. Kelberman's Corner, Trickle Zone, Broncos Book Club. You don't want to miss it. I promise you that. Also, HuddleUpPod.com. Get your swag. Get your hats. Like Geiger Gaming can attest. Get your hoodies. Get whatever product you need. We appreciate all you out there. If you can't do any of that, though, as always, we appreciate and understand all we ask and we plead of you to do is subscribe, like, and share. Helps us grow more than anything else. It takes two seconds. And like Chad's doing and I'm doing, we appreciate it more than you know. We're out of here, though, until tomorrow night. Be sure to uh, keep it locked to MileHuddle.com. We'll see you at 6 o'clock Mountain, 8 o'clock Eastern tomorrow night. Take care. And as always... Go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.